All right, and we're back this week uh, with Carrie Vanderkloot, who, let's see, today is June 8th. Um, so her full album, The Architects, just came out on June 5th, last Friday. Uh, congrats, I guess. You know, we, we've got over that major hump. Now it's just getting the music even more so out there, you know, but I'm sure it feels good to kind of be on the other side of it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm very proud of the album, so I've been kind of waiting anxiously to have it out in the world, so I'm very happy about it. So when did you first start the recording and or writing process of this album? You know, were all these songs written for this or was it more of a, you know, these are just some songs and that I've written in the past couple of years that I want to record? Like, how did that go for you? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's been a pretty long process. Um, I've been working with the same quintet since 2000, early 2018. Um, so I had some of the songs written already then, uh, not all of them, but as uh, we started working together more and more, they kind of started inspiring the writing. So I ended up kind of writing with them in mind after a while. Um, and then I had actually wanted to record the album a year earlier than I did, but I just didn't have the funds yet. So I kind of had to wait right. for the money. Um, but then the funny thing is in that year, I ended up writing a bunch of other songs that were really appropriate for the album anyway. So I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of glad I waited. Um, and then once, once that was all taken care of and the, the money was there, uh, we went into the studio in October and then it was pretty quick from there. You know, I, I didn't want to wait too long. Um, so we pushed pretty hard to get it out into the world and, you know, uh, a record eight months, I guess. Which is nuts to think about, you know, I think if you haven't made a record before hearing the idea that in eight months is a fast amount of time might seem, you know, mind boggling. Um, yeah, but that's, that's interesting. So it, it's great. And I see, I'm a huge fan of the idea of like you, the same quintet has kind of been working together in some shape or form for many years. And I think that's something yeah. that's not uh, just because of the nature of how the industry is nowadays. It's not as common. Um, yeah. Cause how often are you going to have, you know, work where you can hire the same person regularly for, for time and time again, again, when everyone's having to pick up all these um, jobs in between. So how would you say that's influenced you writing wise? Cause now it's less of like, okay, I'm writing for, you know, a sax and a, and a trio and, a, and I'm singing and it's more like, okay, I'm writing for Gary or I'm writing for Jamie Reynolds or, or et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So how is that, like, is that something that you think you actively take into consideration or is it just now become like a habit? Like, you know how this person's going to play it. So you write it and that's just how it is. Yeah, it's kind of it has become a habit, actually. Um, and it, it really was. I mean, a lot of the songs kind of worked themselves out on the bandstand, too. So after we kind of went through that process with a couple songs, then I kind of I knew I knew how to write for them and what what they would be playing and what um, I wanted to hear from them, um, particularly with Lizanne, the violinist, because she she has such a specific sound. So it's been really fun to write for her because um nobody else really sounds like she does so that's all that's always a pleasure yeah and you know so here's an interesting question you, you, you describe yourself um like halfway in between jazz and folk or, or somewhere in mm -hmm. between there which i would 
hundred percent agree with, you know, for whatever my opinion's worth. Cause listening to it, I was like, wow, this kind of sounds like folk to an extent, but I know I don't listen a lot to folk. And how did you, how did you find that balance though? Because I think a lot of people when they're at least traditionally trained in jazz, sometimes mm-hmm. they get, they feel a little apprehensive or hesitant, um, to combine it with their other interest or, or to reach outside right. of that world you know, and find where their little uh, niche is, if you will, and like mm-hmm. what is just music to them and less concerning of like this idea of genres specific or, or genre limitations. Right. Yeah. I think initially it wasn't necessarily a conscious decision, um, but I I have spent a lot of time listening to non-jazz music, you know, lots of Joni Mitchell, lots of Leonard Cohen. Um Bjork, Radiohead, they've all had pretty major impacts on the way I listen to music. So I think it just kind of naturally started coming out at a certain point. Um, Yeah, it definitely wasn't something that I was initially aware of. um, And I didn't even really know how to describe it at first. So I, I, I was kind of struggling to when people were asking me about my music, I was struggling to come up with the appropriate descriptions initially. but then somebody said folk and it kind of clicked and that would, that ended up being that. Yeah. Where, you know, looking at it compositionally, do you ever like, how do you inspire yourself there? Is it a case of like, it all comes to you or do you approach in the sense of like, I'm going to write in this style or, or is it, you know, because of writing lyrics Mm -hmm. and approaching it like that is so difficult. And I don't think people, realize that enough or they do realize it and then Mm -hmm. just never approach it so how does that work out for you um i don't have a very formulaic writing process i just kind of write when i'm inspired to write um so yeah it's hard it's hard for me to answer that question specifically i guess um but i do find that i'll i'll come up with one phrase or one sentence that that kind of ends up being the linchpin of the whole piece. And I usually end up kind of writing around that, but I also find that the music and the lyrics usually come at the same time. Um, that's not really a separate process for me because I feel like the, the melody has to be informed by the shape of the sentence in a certain way. Do you, um, find yourself doing things to specifically, um, influence yourself or inform yourself of, of ideas for lyricism in the sense that like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I, I come to writing, you know, from a non-lyric purely instrumental approach, you know, I might be listening to something like a Sean Jones track or whatever. And I'd be like, man, I really like the way they approached this. And then I'll try and mm-hmm. recreate a version of it, you know, and, and, and branch off from that. But with lyrics, is it, uh, you know, is it like through poetry or your own, reading or your own writing, you know, how do you, cause you know, I, I like, I play trumpet and the idea of, of, of voicing mm-hmm. words and melody so close, you know, is like, wow, I chose music because yeah. I'm not necessarily the best with words, but then as a singer, you know, you got to deal with both sides of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was really hard at first. I was very shy about putting my lyrics out there cause it, it felt too personal in a way I kind of liked hiding behind the vocals a little bit you know what I mean um but I do read a lot of poetry uh Pablo Neruda is someone who's been a big inspiration um from a 
a lyric standpoint. Um, and then on the album, I also set an E.E. E. Cummings poem to music. So that was really fun. Um, and I read a lot of fiction as well. So I, I read a ton. Um, and that usually kind of, I don't know if it's a conscious decision, but it usually kind of seeps in eventually. So then the, the other thing that I really appreciated with your album, and I don't think uh, gets enough credit per se or enough uh, thoughts put into it, is I think so many people, when they think of a vocalist, they just think of like, okay, someone that sings lyrics, you mm -hmm. know, but often you explored um, using the voice in like a non, you know, not, not scatting per se, you know, but just singing mm -hmm. melodies with your voice, like it, uh, an instrumentalist would or whatnot. Where did that yeah. come from? Was that, is there like someone that specific was, yeah. that you point to there or? Um, I think the first person I really heard do that was Norma Winston. Um, Back when I was starting my undergrad, uh, which is a pretty long time ago now, um, she was really someone that I was completely inspired by, and I had never heard anything like her before. So it was it was really refreshing to hear somebody treat the voice in a totally different way, in ways that I hadn't really thought were possible yet. Um, so that's always been something that I've tried to do, too, is to just be creative with how I'm approaching the writing and how, you know, using my voice more like an instrument rather than just um, to be in the forefront. Um, and it's fun too to allow um, Lizanne to shine too, you know, because she's so melodic. Um, so it was really, it was nice to get that balance and allow my other band members to, to really step into the spotlight. Do you think, um, because it's an interesting dynamic, I feel, having vocal and violin, because a lot of the times you guys are in that same, similar, at least, like, timbre and whatnot. Yeah, so how, how have you dealt with that uh, without, like, you know, not stepping on each other's toes? But it definitely there were some moments where I felt like it was straight up hard almost to tell which was happening, you know, because you guys are able to just yeah. pick up where the other person leaves off with such a similar timbre. So what inspired like yeah, the use of the violin sure. and everything? You know, it's funny. Um, okay, well, I don't know if I should say this, um, but in high school, I dated a violinist for five years. Um, so it was okay. always a sound that I was close to. You know, I'd hear him practice all the time. Um, so it, I think we uh, we played a couple duets back then too. So it was a sound that I was really familiar with in my core. Um, and then, you know, coming up through the jazz world, it's always saxophones, trumpets, well, you know, um, yeah. so I kind of veered away from that for a while. And then it was, it almost happened by accident. Um, I had this gig and the guitar player that I had booked for the gig had to sub out and I couldn't really think of anyone who sounded like he did that I would want on the gig. Um, and I think I had met Lizanne at a party maybe like two months before that i never heard her play but i just had this hunch about her so i i just took a chance and called her up and asked if she wanted to play on the gig and then <laughs> it went so well we just kept doing it <laughs> man that's nuts because i think so so often you know when we think of like strings in the world of jazz it's like that idea of like clifford brown with strings or charlie parker with strings yeah. or something where it's like you know, yes, they are playing together, but it's kind of like back and forth rather than happening yeah. simultaneously 
and, and going on. Um, yeah, for sure. So here's another question for you. I know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like I've read somewhere that like you used to teach in South Korea, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I did. How, like, you know, I think with the way the world is today, our musics are so much more influenced by different cultures and everything because it's so much more accessible. And mm -hmm. saying to some extent that you are heavily influenced by folk music, which I think is very um, heavily related to a, a, a specific region's culture and whatnot, you know, often you're seeing that as like, like everyone has their own unique folk music because that's where they're they're from and everything. How has mm -hmm. that in in working with New York musicians and then like your time in in Toronto and in Canada and everything been influenced? And do you see stuff that you might have listened to or 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 witnessed in South Korea finding its way into your music and and blending all of that mm -hmm. together then to get you know like this album, The Architects, or other songs you've composed or or whatnot? Right. Yeah. That's a really great question. Um, so I, I really wish while I was there that I had spent more time checking out, um, traditional Korean music because it's, it's pretty incredible. You know, the instruments themselves are amazing. Um, so I don't know that that necessarily kind of seeps into my, my writing too, too much. Um, but while I was there, I did get the chance to travel a lot through Asia. Um, and one of the places I went was Indonesia and I ended up taking some gamelan classes while I was there. And that was just incredible. It was one yeah. of the best experiences. Um, so I think like some of those, some of those non-traditional scales kind of stayed with me in the back of my head. I kind of, I would write them down as I would hear things. And um, so I still have that notebook somewhere, but I think some of those shapes and sounds are, are in there somewhere. Man, that's so interesting. Cause I think your normal um, music student, if you will, often like shies away from the idea of like theory and not getting too, you know, buy the books with it or whatnot. But then we see people, mm -hmm. you know, different cultures or even someone more present in, in, in the U S like a Kenny Garrett, you know, for example, mm -hmm. that uses such like, they don't just go around your major scale or the modes of the major scale or the melodic minor or whatnot. And we get out to all these other sounds where it's like, wow, completely different timbre and, and idea approach mm -hmm. to it, but still the same 12 notes for the most part, you know, until you start getting like, yeah, even the nerdier things or, or the uses of like different tunings and, and all that. But yeah, yeah, that's nuts. Um, especially the use of gamelan music and, and how that's been influenced and, in, and in everything. So where, you know, we're looking back at this album, the architects second album that you've been a band leader mm -hmm. of and whatnot. How does it compare? Yeah. I, I know I'm sure there were things that happened first time around recording that when you got done with it, you were like, okay, when I do this again, I will change that a little bit differently. You know, yeah. I'm sure <laughs> this album had its own set of, okay, maybe I'll tweak that again next time, you know? And, and like, how does that, yeah. uh, how is that process for you? Cause it's very different than it used to be. You know, there is no longer a Columbia records there with you guiding you through the process or whatnot. And we're not on, you know, 47 albums that miles davis somehow recorded you know it's like how <laughs> yeah. is that process for you 
Yeah, both albums were so different, actually. Um, so the first album kind of happened by accident. Um, I wasn't really planning to record an album. Um, I, I just thought I was doing a demo. Um, but then that that half day in the studio, we ended up putting eight tracks down. So I, I kind of figured, well, maybe I should just finish it and put it out. Uh, but at the time, I really didn't have any support. I was completely doing it by myself. I had no budget. Um, so it was kind of a a lonely process, and I didn't really know how to market it or do any of the publicity stuff on my own because I just hadn't done all the research yet. Um, so this album has been so fun because it's now I have all these people helping me and like teaching me and I'm learning a ton about the whole marketing side of it. Um, so it's been incredibly helpful and it's just been a totally different experience. Um, can you speak a little bit to how you approach that? Because I think one of the biggest hurdles for young musicians, and I could be totally wrong, but I have a gut feeling here is that that idea of cost is something that's really mm-hmm. scary. And then they get yeah. into this game where they're like, oh, wow, if I don't have enough money or, you know, it, it, even if it's not money, if I don't have the most 10 perfect tunes ever written in at the best of my mm-hmm. playing ability, like I don't need to make a record. What did you mm-hmm. do um, in the meantime? Or like, how did you approach that to get from, you know, a demo that turned into an album by surprise to now where you are today? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, the money thing I started, I just started saving. Um, I didn't really want to do a GoFundMe or anything like that because I feel, I feel like it's always the same people kind of funding each other's albums. So, you know, I didn't want to take money from my other musician friends. Um, so I saved and I'm glad I did. Um, because it is expensive, you know, it does take a lot of money. Um, and then, um, yeah, I think the other thing that I was thinking is it's probably worth waiting a little bit until you're sure you have something to say. You know, I do see a lot of young people straight out of school thinking like, Oh, I should just go out and put an album out now. Um, but then if you, if you wait and live a little bit, then you might find that it ends up being a more organic experience. Yeah. And I think that kind of um, slightly, if you will, alludes to like this idea of how we're how jazz, you know, or music in general is Mm -hmm. in the academia world versus not. Um, Right. And I know you have your bachelor's and whatnot. And like often nowadays, people are at least getting one degree in school. Um, But what was that like for you afterwards? How do you think you took that? overwhelming i'm sure amount of information that you learned in your time in school and mm-hmm. then processed it and and balanced you know because I, I feel uh especially someone like just finishing my master's a year ago there's a balance of knowing what you want to sound like who you want to be checking mm-hmm. out and a balance of who you believe you should be checking out because someone else has told mm-hmm. you who knows their things and and trying to find that in between, you know, because there's going to be some people that they tell you to check out because, and then you find you love them. Or there's some people they tell you to check out mm-hmm. because it's almost like a rite of passage and you just need to check them out. Like it, it's a very interesting and tough balancing act. And and so how did, did that work for you since being out of school? Oh yeah. Um, 
So um, I I moved to Korea pretty much straight away after my bachelor's degree. Um, but I did find while I was there, like as I was teaching all the, the same things that I learned, basically, I was kind of absorbing it in different ways and learning how to interpret it. I think one of the big things is it just takes time to really internalize this stuff. You know, it's like we can mm. we can get all the information, um, but you can't really process it all at the same time. You just have to actually do it a bunch of times, you know, be on the bandstand and be in different situations before you can really internalize it. And, and, and I think from there, then you can start to figure out what you want to sound like and who you want to be as a musician and start kind of fine tuning that end of it. Um, but, uh, I, I don't know that it's the kind of thing that you can like sit down and be like, I'm going to sound like this, or, you know, I think you just kind of have to to let it happen a little bit more organically and like let yourself develop and not be in too much of a rush to get there. You know, yeah, I think that's tough for a lot of people to um, come to the understanding of, because I think for everybody else, for the most part, you know, you get like your college degree is, is kind of like a pretty big pinnacle. And then you get done and like you have a job. And or like there's yeah. like a more of a clear clear pathway, and it's just uh, you know I think a lot of people struggle with being young and recognizing that like mm -hmm. it's not going to happen now, <laughs> and it might not even happen by year yeah. thirty or whatever. But it's just it's time yeah. you have to sit with, and you can't necessarily cheat time, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think even by the time I moved to New York and I did my masters, I I wasn't even quite sure then who who I wanted to be and what I wanted to sound like. So, you know, sometimes it just takes a while and that's okay. It you know, it's okay to allow yourself the time to develop and maybe change too, you know. I'm I'm sure if I look back 10 years, I don't sound anything now like I did then. Yeah, and that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, not saying like you specifically, but if mm -hmm. someone didn't change over 10 years, like I would be very confused, honestly, just because of yeah. everything you have in life, like it's bound to happen. Um, yeah. So, you know, change of pace, interesting question. This is me coming from an instrument instrumentalist point of view, you know, often, mm -hmm. um, I don't think people get, um, especially horn players, like tons of opportunities to work with vocalists and interact with the vocalists mm -hmm. in that manner on the bandstand and whatnot, especially in a small group setting. Um, right. what advice do you have as a vocalist and as a teacher? Like, what are those things that you do, uh, look out in, in horn players or you wish that was composers or instrumentalists that called you for gigs took into consideration as a vocalist? You know, they didn't just at, bring you up and ask you to sing, you know, there's no greater love or, or autumn leaves or whatever, you know, like <laughs> what is that next step that you wish they would maybe take? That's a great question. Um, I think uh, a lot of times singers kind of get othered. You know, we were treated as if we're kind of a separate thing. Um, so it would be nice to to kind of walk into a situation where the instrumentalists assume that the vocalist has the same amount of chops that they do and can do the same things. Um, so maybe just, I guess, 
expecting more or like that making it the norm that more is expected of the singer. Um, because I think the role of the vocalist has changed so much over the past, what, like 30, 40 years? You know, we're not just up in front of the band singing standards anymore. There's so many different ways to to use vocalists. Um, so it would be nice to to have that kind of be recognized on the whole, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, you know, because I, um, I think at least personally approaching it, it's not from a place of like negligence, but necessarily mm-hmm. understanding like all of the ability that a vocalist can mm-hmm. do. You know, the idea of like, they can just sing lines like without words, you know, they can scat, like they can sing lyrics and then yeah. not, not feeling like, well, do I need to get like, like, I guess, uh, you know, appreciating the, the, the voice as an instrument and recognizing like you can still use it without specifically having to have lyrics associated with it or something, you know, and it's, it's a stigma that that's going to take time, sadly, you know, but time that I think people have to get past to realize like, Oh, well I can call a vocalist and not just do standards or I can call a vocalist and do standards, but it doesn't have to be done in the standard way, you know? Right. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, and I guess, you know, thinking of the voice as like a different texture, the same way we'd think of a saxophone as a certain texture or a violin as a certain texture. That's always kind of a fun thing. You know, I love it when people write that kind of stuff. Um, but I got to say, being a singer, um, we don't tend to get called that much for other people's gigs, you know? Yeah. So like every once in a while, we all get something cool. But um, a lot of the times we're kind of put in the position of, being the band leader, which is a good thing and a bad thing. You know, we have control, but on the other hand, sometimes it's kind of nice to let someone else take control too. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think it's a little intimidating, you know, honestly. And I think that's something that to an ex, not to the same extent by any means, but you kind of run into as like uh, a trumpet player as compared to like bass or, or piano or whatever, you know, Uh like those are such more um, inherently simple to be a side man. Like, because everyone needs right. to yeah. to be a, a baser, like, needs a bass player in their band, or, you know, unless you're doing, like, a bassless trio or something. But, yeah, yeah I hear you. Sure. It's, it's, it's nuts. So, what's, what's next? You know, like, how, how do you see yourself? Because I've, I've heard from people that the whole doing an album thing can get really addictive. And, you know, you just want to keep putting <laughs> stuff out there and putting stuff out there. Like, what? What do you find yourself doing next? Yeah, it is super addictive. I can't wait to do the next one. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of funny that you said that. Um, so actually, since we've all been kind of under lockdown in New York, um, since March, pretty much, um, I've pretty much written a whole new album since then. <laughs> so I think some of the songs I had started, but you know, now a bunch of them are finished. Um, so... I guess what's next is to, you know, enjoy promoting this album. Hopefully we'll get to tour it. That would be really nice. Hopefully that'll happen in, uh, well, God knows when. Um, But then when all that kind of settles down, I'll probably start saving money and try and do the next one. Uh, You know, you kind of hit on the the lockdown and, and obvious difficulties that we have with gigs right now. You know, no one's going out to mm-hmm. Ditty or the Vanguard or whatever. So. Yeah. How has that changed the entire um, creative? 
process or life for you, you know, because I think so many of us, like, yeah, we check out the records. We have our records that we love and whatnot, but so much of it is feeding mm -hmm. off of like the energy of other musicians and other shows and going to see that and getting like that endless cycle of being inspired and, and just living life of that nature. How has that changed for mm -hmm. you now being like, okay, the most life I might get today is I got to go pick up a loaf of bread, you know? <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much my life right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I've been checking out more recorded work. You know, I I had been really bad about saying, oh, yeah, I'll check out your album and then just forgetting to do it or not having time to actually listen to the whole thing. So that that's actually been really nice to be able to sit down and listen for an uninterrupted period of time because that really wasn't happening before. Um, yeah. And. I think the other nice thing is just having time, having so much more time to practice that you kind of get bored with your own sound. So you're like, okay, what can I do differently? Or like, let's make a game for myself to try this. Um, so that that's been really enjoyable too. You know, it's, I guess just finding the little silver linings. Now, again, ignorance, cause I'm not a vocalist here. Do you, find yourself uh drawn to transcribing as much as an instrumentalist might because i know like that's mm. you know when i talk to my saxophone friends or my pianist friends or whatever or even myself like that's the holy grail of what you do it's like how do you get better jazz transcribe mm -hmm. like that's that is it you know it what is it yeah what is it for you when you're checking out these records yeah, that's a good question, too. Um, so I used to transcribe a ton, uh, but I haven't really done that so much over the past, like, uh, seven or eight years. Um, now I guess I'm just listening for the general vibe, and then, like, maybe every once in a while I'll, I'll transcribe some of the, the chord changes or, like, you know, pick out a couple melodies there. Um, but, yeah, I just – I don't know if I'm consciously – trying not to transcribe but i think more it was just i didn't have time to do it before sure. um but i think mm -hmm. i might start doing it again now that i have so much more time than i thought it would yeah and i mean you know i only know so much because of my experiences and whatnot but i kind of feel like once you get to a a point it's less of having to sit down and like take the time to transcribe note for note and it's more mm -hmm. You know, because your ears have grown and you're listening to different things and it's, yeah, it just becomes more of like your active listening process, you know, and it's, that's different than just throwing on yeah. music to go for a run or while you cook, you know, just sitting mm -hmm. down and taking in the album for the album's worth and, and, and the compositions and, and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so, okay. Slightly loaded question, you know, and this is always, I feel interesting to <laughs> ask about musicians. Uh, what do you do when it's not music? Like, what is your escape from this world? Because I think it's really easy for us to get caught up in only doing this because it for everybody else, it is like a more pleasure thing to to consume. And for us, we love it. So we don't mm -hmm. necessarily get tired of it. But, you know, you can still. Uh, there's other things, hopefully, to give ourselves a little breather. <laughs> but what are you trying to do? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Um, I do read a lot. Um, so that's, that's something. Um, yeah. Uh, my husband's not a musician, so he isn't necessarily always into checking out obscure jazz shows with me. Um, so sometimes I'll go to non-jazz shows with him or, you know, we'll go to the movies or, um, 
these days I've been cooking a ton. So I've been kind of, you know, collecting recipes that I want to try and um, just experimenting more. So that's been kind of fun. Um, yeah, but maybe I could use some more hobbies overall. No, I mean, that's cool. It's just, it's, uh, I think and nowadays, like, you know, everybody does their own thing or whatnot, but it's interesting when you'll, um, like read about these older musicians and, and whatnot and find the other things that they take up that kind of in yeah. ways mimic their creativity or, but it's not, yeah. you know, they're not playing the horn, like miles picking up painting or yeah. boxing or whatnot. And, and a lot of people talking about their, they love cooking as well and how they can see, you know, the similarities of like improvisation or mm -hmm. whatnot and, and the balancing game and, you know, all of that. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's just interesting. Yeah. The, well, yeah, the funny thing is, um, my husband's really into basketball and I had never really paid much attention until the Toronto Raptors won last year. <laughs> and then I became a fan too. But it, um, that was something that we ended up talking about a lot is just, um, the teamwork and the improvisation, uh, within the team and like how they work together and how similar that is to jazz in a weird way. Yeah. And that's, that kind of goes off of that interesting idea of, you know, having someone in your life that is so close, that is not a musician and how, yeah. how both sides of the spectrum, you know, from musician and someone that's not view the things and how they experience the things and seeing that, you know, of course it's nice. I'm sure to come home and not be able to talk about the changes to all the things you are or something you know, <laughs> away from that. But the, you know, it, it's always interesting it, for me at least to go to shows with people that are not musicians or at least not jazz musicians yeah. because we get so into that, like sometimes, you know, wow, that bass drum is really loud. Do you hear that? Or like, wow, I know the changes to this yeah. song. And you get, you get caught up in that because you're just, that's what we do. But to be able to see how they, yeah take it all in and how how they 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 process it differently and and get that different perspective can be really refreshing at least in in my opinion yeah oh for sure for sure um yeah i i do like running stuff by him because it's sometimes what he says is not what i expected so it's always kind of interesting to to hear his point of view um Particularly with the writing, like the, the word side, you know, like writing the press release and writing all the text stuff. Um, he definitely had some thoughts that were very different from mine. So <laughs> yeah, that's fun. It's, it's kind of nice. <laughs> well, and, and that's nice because, you know, there are times when it is so beneficial to take like something I'm writing and run it by a pianist or whatever, because I by no means have great piano voicings, but then there's other times when you do mm -hmm. it. And then they play something and you're like, well, I thought I had an idea where I wanted this to go. And now this is changed completely. And so, you know, having someone yeah, totally. to bounce those ideas off of that can't come back to you and be like, have you thought about this harmonic progression there? Is probably refreshing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, especially too, when, when I'm teaching and I teach a lot, you know, when things are normal, I'm teaching five days a week. Um, Sometimes uh, I'll come home just exhausted and burnt out and I really don't want to hear any music, you know, yeah. because it's just like I've been I've been living it all day. So sometimes it's nice to, to have that break and then to have someone there who's interested in something else or wants to do something else. Right. 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 So, okay, you know, we, we kind of to come full circle on it. You know, we got this album just came out a couple of days ago but we're also in lockdown. Yeah. 
Um, what yeah. do you have going on? What What are you What are you pushing out into the world right now? You know, what are you? How are you staying active? Where can people catch up with you? See, you know, content or videos or, or keep up with your ev- everything. Carrie, what's going on right now? <laughs> uh, well, on Wednesday, June 10th, I'll be doing a live stream with my band. Um, so obviously we can't play together, but um, I thought since this album, you know, they're, they're so integral in the way this album turned out. It didn't feel right to do a solo show without them. So everybody's going to do a little bit of a solo. We're going to chat a little bit um, and then we'll probably stream some of the recorded music. So that's Wednesday, June 10th. Um, and then I have a couple other live streams coming up this summer, uh, one in July, I think July 7th or 8th, I can't remember. And then more stuff in August. Um, and all of that stuff will be posted on my Instagram or my Facebook artist page and my website as well. And all of that's under Carrie Vanderclute. So CarrieVanderclute.com. Instagram is at Carrie Vanderclute. Uh, Facebook is Carrie Vanderclute Jazz Vocalist. Uh, yeah, so I'll try and keep up on that and, you know, keep posting new videos. Um, I just got an interface and downloaded uh, Pro Tools first. So uh, something I'll be working on is learning how to record at home a little bit better because um, I've never been really good at the tech stuff. So uh, this has been kind of a fun opportunity to to actually get better at some of that stuff. So hopefully I'll be putting out some collaborations later in the summer, too. Um, with the live stream Wednesday, is that going to be something that people can go also catch after the fact? Is it going to be up somewhere to see like the recording of it or is it only a live thing or what's going on there? Uh, I think it'll be archived on my Facebook page. Okay. Um, yeah, so it'll be available to check out later because it just occurred to me that this podcast will probably come out after that. <laughs> yeah, it, it might, but hey, it'll be a cool thing to go, you know, a little bonus feature if they stay till the end and check it all out. Um, but look, yeah, thanks again, definitely. Carrie, for coming on. Congratulations on the release. Obviously, we're fans of it or we wouldn't have wanted to put it out. I'm oh, sure everyone else will be into it. Uh, the Architects, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music, you know, Napster, if that's still a thing. I don't know. It's out on all the DSPs. <laughs> um, go check it out. And then excited to see, you know, what, what comes in the future. <laughs>